This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by Ellison Wiest. Welcome. Hello, hello. It Back is, again. Yeah, it is lovely to have you in studio. Thanks. Yes, a real treat. So, um, so what are you doing for exercise these days, E? That's what I want to know. Okay, well, you know, I'm in the uh, the grandmother uh, era You're here. You're a badass grandmother. I am a bad, badass grandmother. I'm wearing my shirt. Yeah. Um, and as I've mentioned before, uh, I think my running days have sort of petered out, although I'm doing walk running uh, oh. with uh, my two and a half year old lab pit mix. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, an example today, we went out for a little over an hour. Oh. And then about an hour and a half later, we went out for another half hour. Um, so that's, oh yeah, wow. that's to get him good that's, and That's tired. a lot. So that you said he'd sleep all your over Right, here. right, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. At his age, that's the best thing. You really uh-huh. got to get him tired. Um, so, 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 but like within that hour, right. you went out, um, just, you know, what sort of intervals, you know, how much running versus how much walking? A lot of it depends on him. He has a tendency to be, you know, really jacked up when we leave the house, mm. but then, you know, probably 30 minutes in, he often tends to sort of start to, to drag. So we'll do intervals like, you know, we'll run for maybe a couple of blocks and mm-hmm. he is not of the, you know, he's not of the running stock dog, you know, <laughs> he, he's not a Vizsla or, you know, something. A lab, true, uh, right. a true well, lab. he's, a, no, yeah. So, um, I would say that, Probably, you know, probably at most we're jogging along for, you know, a minute to a minute and a half at a time uh-huh, because uh-huh. he's, you know. But very free form. You let very him. Very free form. I, well, I don't always let him because if you let a dog, <laughs> then, you know, suddenly the dog becomes the mistress. So <laughs> we don't want. I'm trying to get back into um, doing more planks and push-ups. I used to be able to do you know, 20 men's push-ups, you know, I just pop it off. And the other, wow. the other day I, I knew I hadn't done them for a while. And so I got down on the floor and said, ah, let me shoot for five. And I made it to three. <laughs> so that's the thing. Uh, well, I'm super impressed. You can do three on your toe push-ups. Well, I think, you know, if you've been doing, like I started doing it a long time ago, I started okay. doing that in my thirties. Oh, um, trendsetter there no i uh somebody that i worked with at pepsi a man mouths off to me about a push-up contest so away we went (laughs) (laughs) i trust you won (laughs) by one (laughs) (laughs) and you did this at the office yeah yeah right in front of about 10 people as i recall what were you wearing I'm pretty sure I was wearing pants. I'm almost positive I was. Or if I was wearing a skirt, it wasn't. Oh my gosh. It wasn't one that, but I did take my shoes off. I recall that. But not wearing pantyhose, please, because that would create some slippage. That I don't recall. Uh I don't recall. This is the South, so I may have been. But, you know, ever (laughs) since then. But I will say that once, as you get older, once you let things slide, it's that much harder to get back. You know, I remember in my thirties and forties, it would be, okay, you know, I was sick for a week and now it's taken me a week to get back to where I was. And Mm -hmm. those days are gone, baby. (laughs) (laughs) What Uh, about you? I was about to say, I saw evidence of that very fact because I, you know, um, BC before Corona, I would take a strength class, an hour long strength class every Monday at my favorite studio here in town, the refinery. And with this guy, Mitch, and so uh, we just entered phase one right. reopening here in Portland um, last Friday. And so they started off the refinery started offering the class on Monday mornings outdoors at the high school, the bowl within the track or the, you know, the inner circle of the right. track. Um, and so went to that and, oh my gosh, well, first of all, I, I, I do pushups on my knees, but I could barely do any just push-ups uh, of that 
of that kind. Yeah, well, it'd been what, three months? It's three months, exactly. Right. So I have been, you know, while I was doing heart and soul heart rate, you know, training through Train Like a Mother Club, I was doing very religiously um, 20 minutes of strength training twice a week, Good. but just body weight exercises. And gosh, my glutes were very much aware yesterday and still a little bit today, this is Wednesday as we record, that doing, um, you know, lunges or squats holding a 25 pound kettlebell is sure a whole lot different than just doing it with your body weight. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so, and, you know, we didn't swap any equipment, like you grabbed your one kettlebell and your mat and that was yours. You didn't, you know, versus a, a BC class, you would rotate from station to station. And then, so there'd be three um, exercises and you do that as a set, you move through that three times. And then we do kind of ladder drills. He had, you know, spread a, one of those, um, fabric and plastic ladders on the right. ground and then little hurdles and stuff like that. So to get a little cardio burst in and a little also lateral movement and, you know, some different types of movement. So he had us warm up on the track. And so I'd also run there and in, in the high school, I don't know, it's a little, maybe three fifths of a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile from here. So then he had us run twice around the track and two women took off and you've been at that track with me many times. Oh, yes. And so I had to rein in the ego right. to say, okay, yeah, I could keep up, you know, with Gina, but I don't need to keep up with Gina. Good girl. And, thank you. And I thought, you know what? I am just going to do an easy zone one pace to just warm up, a warm up zone one pace. And so about halfway around the track, there were two other women behind me and they said, Sarah, your pace is so perfect. You are running a, I could run this pace all day pace. Like, oh, my work here is done. That's exactly what I wanted to good, do. Good, good. I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, why is that giving me such delight? So yeah, so the, uh, I'm now signed up for that class every Monday. And so we shall see. And then this morning, so again, it's a Wednesday and Last night, I just kind of got a bee in my bonnet that I wanted to go swimming up at Klein Line Pond, and Molly doesn't work on Wednesdays, so I texted her, and I was like, hey, any chance you'd go swimming with me tomorrow morning? I'd pick you up at 7 a.m., and so she was like, yeah, sure, so it was so much fun, so I was really worried, you know, because BC, um, the traffic coming down from Vancouver, Washington into Portland, the commuter traffic would make that move prohibitive. Right. You know, I'd still be sitting in traffic. So, oh no, there was, you know, we just zoomed right into town afterwards. But, oh my gosh, it was so blissful up there. And the sun kind of, you know, it wasn't rising because, you know, the sun had been up since five something here. Five but 15. <laughs> you, were, you were probably up for it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but rising over the trees that surround the pond. And oh, it was dreamy, dreamy, uh, dreamy. Oh, so, that sounds nice. Yes, yes, yes. So, all right. Well, you are here for the annual Summer Reading Podcast. Yes, yes. And this, we launched this, Dimity and I launched this in 2014. I looked it up. It's episode 68. This, I think, is episode, that we're, this one is maybe 422, oh, something wow. like that. So that was quite a long time ago. That was, that was. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, originally, so it was Dimity's idea. Originally, it was just sporty books. Right. Like I remember the first rowing, one. There mm -hmm. was a Matt Fitzgerald book. Um, uh, um, Catherine Switzer's Marathon Woman book. Um, so, but we've expanded to having any fiction or nonfiction new. Um, that uh, so, and we are releasing this episode slightly earlier than usual, based on social media feedback. That I don't know, people seem to have a little more time to read, <laughs> <laughs> a little less to do outside yep. the home. <laughs> yeah. So for those people, you know, who maybe don't have young children climbing all over them all the time. Um, there's a little bit more time to cuddle up with a book. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So anyway, so we hope this helps carry you through the pandemic boredom listener. We will talk about books after this break. Stick around. Okay, Allison, let's start with novels and move on to a few nonfiction choices. So lay it on me. What, what's your first book? My first book is actually my favorite book. And oh. it's The Beauty of Your Face by Sahar Mustafa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it says a Palestinian-American woman wrestles with faith, 
loss, and identity before coming face-to-face with a school shooter in the mm-hmm. searing debut. And so the book begins, actually, when the main character, FF, is a headmistress at a school for, for um girls for palace for muslim girls mm-hmm. this and, is in palestine yeah. no this is oh, actually sorry, sorry. in chicago the chicago oh, okay. suburbs mm-hmm. and uh so we start off learning a little bit about her life but then we go straight to there's a shooter in the school mm. and so what happens and she does this quite brilliantly is she moves back and forth from the present time to the past and to a pretty troubled childhood. She, oh. she grew up with a, a family who had immigrated from Palestine. And um, early in her childhood, when she was about nine or 10, her oldest sister, who was 17, disappeared. Oh. And this really colors the, the fabric of the family relationship. And we have the father who is trying desperately to hold on to the family and to certain low-income jobs. And then the mother, who essentially has always wanted to go back to her homeland Mm. and who retreats from the family, especially from her youngest daughter. So we have the going back and forth, which, as I've said to you before, I feel like some authors can do very well and others tend to, you're more invested in one time Yes, frame yes. versus mm-hmm. another. And that's another brilliance of this book in that you you really move seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And while you're wondering what is going on uh, back at the school, mm-hmm. you still are fascinated by her life as a, as a child and moving into a young girl and what essentially saves her mm-hmm. from her upbringing in mm-hmm. many ways mm-hmm. saves her and yet redeems her mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i really have to um applaud this novel um i i really like i say out of all the books that i read i would say this was oh. my favorite yeah all right yeah so um i know you said you don't have as many notes as usual but um, right. i always adore when you compare you know if you like so-and-so book, you're going to like this book. So do you have any, I won't. Gosh, right off the top of my head, I would say probably if you enjoy readers, uh, excuse me, books about another perspective, and there's one book that I'm thinking of, and and I can't remember the name. If it comes to me, I'll shout it out in an inappropriate (laughs) moment. (laughs) But I would say uh, if, like the one thing that I really adored about this was I did not know a lot about uh, growing up in a Muslim family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fascinated by that along with the story. So I think if you're somebody who likes learning about a different culture, a different mm-hmm. outlook, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this sort of novel will take you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without it being didactic and kind of hitting you over No, the head. not at all. Uh-huh. Not at all. Just a beautiful novel. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, the first one that I want to talk about is... I don't know if people that it's the other Bennett sister by Janice Hadlow. And it is uh, the story of pride and prejudice reimagined through the eyes of the middle sister, Mary. Oh, wow. Which if you've seen the show, the miniseries, um, she always wears glasses and she does in this book um, and in this novel. And so you know, she's kind of the quiet sister. She doesn't get in much trouble. She's, you know, she's kind of set out from Lizzie and Jane. They are the two older sisters and um, kind of larger than life. And so she doesn't fit in with them and she doesn't fit in with kind of the two silly younger sisters, Lydia and Kitty. And so I will admit I'm only about a hundred pages in and my goodness, the typeface is incredibly small, <laughs> but it's decal. <laughs> oh, um, so yes, yes. So it is um, right now the scene. I, I like it so well that I, I'm enjoying this book so well that this morning I got up extra early cause I was excited. So excited to go swimming that I got up about 45 minutes before my alarm. And so I sat out on our back deck and instead of reading the New York Times while I ate my breakfast, which is my, you know, absolute, me too. uh, (laughs) I read the novel. So this morning over yogurt and homemade granola and mango, I um, uh, was transported to the ball at Meryton. Oh yeah. um, Where, you know, Bingley and Darcy make their first appearance. Right. So yes. 
So I know that uh, Mary ends up going to London. I don't know why. I actually didn't even want to read the inside book jacket because I want to be kind of surprised by it. Look at you. So what I, it's, it's well-crafted. It okay. certainly is in the style of Jane Austen without being um, too precious in that, um, too twee, shall I say, Elsa? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of our favorite words. Um, so, but I do do love it because I am one of those people, one of those Austinites who rereads Pride and Prejudice, hoping that I'll find a chapter that I've never found before <laughs> in the lost archives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pages okay. maybe have just been glued together before. Right. So unfortunately, I have not found a new chapter. So this is a new way of experiencing, you know, what I consider one of the greatest stories. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Oh, good, it. Yes. good. And I, yes. uh, I first dibs on borrowing it yes, next. Yes, yes, once, okay, once I finish it, yes. And, <laughs> and I was thinking about, I mean, I definitely feel, uh, this might be heresy to say, it's better done than that um, Death Comes to Pemberley by, right. was that by oh. uh, P.D. James? No. Was it P.D. James? I think it was P.D. I think it was P.D. James. I think it was, yeah. Yes. And then I've been wondering because several uh friends, including my neighbor, went on and on about the uh, mystery, the Jane Austen mysteries by Stephanie Barron. Oh. So some of our readers need to, to our listeners, excuse me, readers, <laughs> listeners, need to comment on that because uh, I, I'm sort of, I'm a little skittish, uh -huh. but at the same time, I think I'd like to, yeah. to dip my toe in it if people think it's worth the time. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think of Curtis Sittenfeld, who we'll, we will oh, talk about later, yeah, the el for Eligible, oh, yeah. which was so enjoyable. And that oh, was yes. a little more frothy and lighthearted, oh, yes, but, yes. and it obviously but very well in contemporary right. times. So this one, I, I, um, I, I think I'm giving it quite a high grade already. Oh, so, good. Yes, Ooh, yes, good. yes, yes, to yes. look forward to Yes. Okay, Allison, back to you. All right. Now, this time with my next novel, I can sort of tell you about books that it's common. It's, it's, it falls into the category of siblings behaving badly, oh. like in the nest or oh, it's, that was the, the immortalists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the immortalists. Okay. Well, this is called The Resolutions, mm -hmm. and it's by Brady Hames. I'm mm -hmm. assuming it's H A M M E S. Mm -hmm. And it concerns three siblings, uh, two brothers, and a, a a younger sister who uh, are all having issues uh, of their own. The the younger sister is uh, was a very very talented ballet um, student, and she's now working with a company in Russia when the book opens. But she has a pretty serious drug problem, mm. and um, the one of the brothers is a sort of level actor who's been working in this uh, sitcom for uh, starring in the sitcom that has just been canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, the other brother is actually uh, off in the wilds of, oh gosh, let me see again, where is it? He's in uh, Gabon, the rainforest in Gabon, oh. hmm. and he's studying elephants there. And things happen so that their mother is begging all three of them, their parents actually, but mainly their mother, to, to come back to Chicago mm. for Christmas. And as it turns out, all three of them do. Oh. So they return back there each Just with, a short jaunt from right, Gabon and exactly, Russia. Russia. Exactly, yeah. in Russia, yeah. And the, the brother that's in L.A. ends up driving. But you have these three siblings who are thrown together after not, having seen each other in a long time uh the parents are sort of tangential in this story and uh then the story begins to focus more on the sister's uh drug addiction mm -hmm. and uh so i it's not giving too much away to say that all three of them end up going back to gabon and part of that is because they are trying uh, a very novel approach to helping the sister with her addiction. Oh, huh. So um, I have to say that uh, I enjoyed the, the characters, the way they were fleshed out. But as the story moved on, I began, especially when they get back over to Gabon, I began to sort of lose um, the thread and I began to think, oh, come on, come on. Well, I have to say, it's not a very long book for no. what sounds like a lot to happen with three characters. No, it's and not. And to move from, I mean, it's barely over 300 pages. Right, 
Right. And yeah. I think that may be the, the other part. I, I think that if the author had taken a little bit more time in the last third of it, mm. that I, I would have, my credibility level would have been greater. Mm-hmm. I've, I began to feel, oh, come on, you know, some of that. <laughs> um, I think he's probably going to be a, a writer to watch. Um, hmm. Like I say, the first third of it where he's fleshing out the, the three siblings is, mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. But if you enjoyed The Nest, uh, and to a lesser degree, if you enjoyed The Immortalist, I think you'll enjoy this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, my next novel that I want to talk about is by an author that a whole lot of people have heard of. <laughs> um, and it is a prequel to a trio of books that a whole lot of people have read. It is... The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. It is the prequel to The Hunger Games. Ooh, wow. So, yes, I mean, I guess technically it's a YA novel, and I don't typically read YA novels, although I did read The Hunger Games trilogy, and I have to say, I really enjoyed The Hunger Games trilogy. I went into it thinking, like, this is not, you know, um, for instance, Twilight. I, wow, wow, <laughs> such a poorly written novel. Oh, um, so uh, my, the bar was low and she far surpassed it because you did not read The Hunger Games. Am I no, right? I haven't. You know, yeah. I haven't also read, all right, is everybody sitting down? Harry Potter. Well, I haven't read Harry Potter either. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting me. No, no, and my children haven't read it. Oh my word. We just let that train just pull all the way out of the station. We can't even see it anymore. Well, Carl is like, curses every time he does a crossword puzzle. Now, I should have read Harry Potter. Dang it. It's so funny. Molly wears a Slytherin t shirt. I think I'm saying it right, which is one of the, I think. I don't know houses. Right now, people are just yelling at yeah. the loud. They're running and they're yelling, you stupid idiots. Um, so she wears uh, that sweatshirt. Sometimes like when we go to the pond or something, she'll she'll wear that. And the first couple of times, I was like, oh, that's so nice. She's wearing a sweatshirt that says Southern, which is where her daughter goes to school. <laughs> I took a closer look. I'm like, no, that doesn't say that. And oh, what is goodness. that? That happens to somebody besides me. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, but we've watched the movies. Um, I haven't. I think I've only watched one or two of them. But um, so, um, okay, so I going into this saying that I really enjoyed the Hunger Games, I think Suzanne Collins is a talented writer. She, um, I like the breadth of her vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, like I said, a prequel, and it is really the backstory of President Snow, who is played by Donald Sutherland in the movies. And um, so it is at the 10th anniversary of the Hunger Games. So I think it's probably, I think that's maybe th- 30 years before the Hunger Games. And so it's kind of the backstory of how the Hunger Games developed into the modern day spectacle in the other books that it is. And kind of how this young man, it's um, at the beginning, he's essentially a senior in high school. And um, so it's how this seemingly nice young man um, from a respectable, very affluent family becomes this dreadful human being that is President Snow. So it's um it's very engaging. He is the um it's the first time they ever have kind of mentors for the candidates that get chosen to be the uh, in the Hunger Games. And so he is one of those um, people and his candidate is from you know the poorest, most um, you know, low expectation um district and he gets the female one. So he's like, Oh, she's never going to win. And so anyway, so it's about the relationship that they form and, and the games themselves. And then after the games. And so, um, yeah, I found it super engaging. And I also, um, my son, John, who's 14 really enjoyed the hunger games trilogy. And so now I have asked him to read it. That's why I bought a copy of it. Um, cause I'm hoping that we can discuss it. So he got through 12 pages of it the other night and he is not much of a reader. So I try not to laugh and be like, Oh, did you read for what? Like five minutes. But, um, you know, I'm trying not to judge. If he only reads 12 pages at a stitch, it might take him a while to get through it. Cause this book is, um, more than 500 pages. Okay. All right. So that's different from the one I just spoke <laughs> yes. of. Yes. So, <laughs> commitment. Um, so if you like the hunger games, you most certainly should read this novel. Um, 
And, um, you know, some, I, I know that some of the reviewers said the final third got a little slow. Um, I, I, I like the entire thing. It definitely changes tone. It changes place. Um, he goes out to one of the districts. Um, so it's almost seems like two thirds of it is one novel. And then the final third is another novel. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Now, uh, because you and I were so upset that um, uh, what's Anthony, his, Horowitz. Anthony Horowitz does not have a book out. He let us year, down. Sure we have did. had, he had a book for our last two summer readings, Anthony Horowitz. And did he have, well, maybe one for our winter reading or not? Maybe not, but definitely the last two. Yeah. yeah and which is pretty expected. rare. I mean, when you think that about is. how long it takes to write a novel for that some is. people, I mean, Donna Tart isn't hooking us up anytime oh, soon. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're dangling her name. Yeah, I think I figured out that it's going to be another three years, probably, at least, before we hear anything from her. Well, it took her 10 years to come right? out with, with um, you know, the, the, the goal. One. Oh, it's, uh, uh, let's see, the first. So the Secret uh, History, and then that that was in second. the 90s. And then the second one, The Little Friend, I think that was 11 years, maybe. Oh, even. all right. So it's, huh. yeah. But and given how slow time moves these days, my gosh, it could be. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> how I wake up every morning and can't remember what day it is. <laughs> oh, but today was such an exciting day. I woke up and I lay in bed for a second and I thought, I get to go swimming with Molly and then record the reading podcast with Ellison. And I, I told myself, those are two really awesome things. Get stoked. Therefore, it equals Wednesday. Yes, yeah. right. I connected the dots. Yeah. Yeah. I told my husband, I, you know, he's been working from home since the middle of March. And I said, you were my touchstone. You know, I knew what day it was. <laughs> anyway, since we didn't have an Anthony Horowitz book, uh, I chose this one because he uh, gave it a, a thumbs up and gave it a blurb. Okay. And it's called Eight Perfect Murders by Pierce Swanson. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it is, it's, a, you know, it's going to be, it's a, I guess it could go as a thriller, but uh, the amount of bloodshed is, is That's so low. funny. When I was uh, writing up the notes of this, I actually took a moment to debate whether, what's the difference between a mystery and a thriller? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I would say, I think they sometimes tend to blend into each other. Okay. Uh, now, I know that some readers will disagree, but, and reviewers, but, um, this so it's one, not just me being an idiot. No, not knowing no, the difference. Okay, not good. at all. Okay, okay good. All. Thank you. This one appealed to me also because uh, the protagonist is a bookseller, mm. um, and his name's Malcolm Kershaw, and he has a mystery bookstore. Mm. Bookshop has had it for a number of years. I don't think it would survive the pandemic. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. Especially Sorry. because he's he's got a lot of used books, like a lot oh, of okay. and a lot of you know first editions. Oh, stuff. all right. But many years ago. Uh, he started a blog and one of his, and I think it was actually his first entry in the blog was eight perfect murders. And he uh, chose these from among the best of the best, including like Agatha Christie's, the ABC murders, uh, Patricia Highsmith's strangers on a train. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was years ago. So he was kind of stunned when one day a female FBI agent appears in his shop and she essentially says to him do you remember this blog post because i think that somebody is going back and recreating those murders in present day time oh. and she tells him about two murders and then is sort of convinced that there's a third one that's happened as well but she's still working on that and he's very surprised about this and so they begin uh, meeting and then he ends up sort of going back and looking over things and wondering about this. And in the meantime, you begin to realize you're not sure how reliable a narrator Malcolm is. Oh, he refers to the death. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought you did. Yeah. You look like the type. <laughs> I sense that about you, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting that vibe. Uh, but he he starts talking about his uh, late wife, uh, mm. who was a character in herself. And as we move through this, Malcolm becomes not only part bookseller, part investigator, but we begin to worry about some of his motives. Mm. At the same time, we also realize that there's 
another person, another piece of the puzzle. Oh, so it's, um, I would have to say that, uh, you know, it, it, it moves right along. I think if you're not, um, somebody who enjoys having, uh, many book discussions along the way in, oh. a, in a novel. And I say many, they're not, they, they don't go into great detail, but I think if you're somebody who a enjoys mystery and especially uh, sort of classic, classic. mystery, mm-hmm. and if you're somebody that as you, you know, uh-huh. is, is okay with an unreliable narrator, then I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh-huh. Okay, good, good. All right. And hopefully Anthony Horowitz will have, one in time for That's right, next Anthony. Summer. 2021, baby. I'm Come sure on. he listens. To yes, the I know. Of course he does. <laughs> okay. And your next one is the Southern <laughs> Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. It's such a great <laughs> title. I call that I got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> by by yeah. Grady Hendrix. Yeah. And- yeah. I said that I had to review this one. Number one, I'm Southern. Number two, there's a book club. And then who can resist that title? Right. <laughs> that title is just. <laughs> and this one I think is perfect for uh, the, the pandemic because it is it's very humorous it's uh, got a lot of sort of laugh out loud moments mm-hmm. uh, some of the characters are just you know too too much fun and uh, what he sacrifices at time you know with the plot and little believability who cares uh-huh. but it essentially uh, centers around a woman named Patricia Campbell who lives in the Charleston area and it, she is your typical overworked mother um, she has I'm several, sure no one listening can relate no yeah. no and that's you know she's got several children her husband works all the time not only that but she's taking care of her mother-in-law oh. who's not doing well either Sandwich you know, generation. mentally very uh-huh. much so you know in the home the mother-in-law's in uh-huh. the oh, home okay. mm-hmm. yes and it, when it kicks off it's great because we've all been here she is getting ready to go to her book club's meeting and uh she is the one that's supposed to present the book mm. and she hasn't read it <laughs> well, it never happens to ne- me. Never, never happens, happens. <laughs> so uh, uh you know apparent you know essentially that's just a uh huge uh faux pas but mm. what she finds out as she's leaving is that she's not alone there are several other women who have not read it. And in fact, they want to get together and form their own book club. And they have already sort of picked out a leader and they've already picked out a title. And so they corner Patricia and say, look, you know, you've got to be in this, this book club. Well, I love it. You got a page flag. Oh, I do because it shows it. So Kitty handed Patricia a glossy new paperback copy of evidence of love. I know you think it's trash, Kitty said, but it has passion, love, hate, romance, violence, excitement. It's just like Thomas Hardy, only in paperback and with eight pages of photos in the middle. <laughs> so, it, oh, I just got to say, I love that you did a voice for that. That was. Well, I could just hear this woman, and that's what Grady is good at. He really is good at at sort of uh, honing in on some of these women, and, and es- essentially they go from reading, you know, all these classic titles to, you know, books, you know, that are bodice rippers. Well, but they're all true crime. Oh, that's huh. what they get into. It's true oh. crime, kind of on the edge of, you know, mm. uh, uh, B grade, uh-huh. if not full on B grade, and in the middle of this, a stranger moves to their little tight community. Da-da-da. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. And then very, very strange things begin to happen. Uh-huh. And he does this great job of essentially making this a vampire novel. But on top of it, he's got these, you know, just hilarious characters, hilarious situations. Um, and it was just something that I was able to sort of, okay, okay, so that plot point's a little odd. You suspended disbelief? I you? did suspend disbelief. And so I think it's just, it's a hoot. Let's oh, put it that way. It's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love a hoot. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And um, 
you know, may I adore Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, you'll love this one. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, also remind a little bit of the Santa Clarita Diaries. That's, that's so funny because uh, that keeps popping up on my Netflix. You, know, oh. you gotta watch this because I like dead, what is it? Dead, dead to, to me. me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Still haven't watched the second season. I haven't watched the second season either. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm saying until I can watch it really you know, not be interrupted. Right. So yeah. 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 Um, Jack and I just start, well, let's talk about TV for a second. Okay. Jack and I um, started watching the handmaid's tale, which I realized we're incredibly late to the game. Right. But as I've said on the podcast, you know, one of my all time favorite novels, if right. not my most favorite novel. And it's the reason I got Hulu two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, eh, yeah. love your scheduling. <laughs> yes. So, um, so Jack and I just finished watching, watching Orphan Black. Okay. And, um, which was good, but talk about having to suspend your disbelief. Yeah, that's what um, I could not. Yeah. And, and not even just from the clone standpoint, but just from, there were a lot of plot holes. And um, which sounds like something you call somebody drives too slow in front of you. Oh, you're such a plot hole. Um, uh, so anyway, so I was like, well, Jack, do you have any interest in watching The Handmaid's Tale? Because he's never read it. Well, let me tell you, that man is going to be reading the novel. Yeah. Uh, he was really, really just yeah. completely taken in by it. Carl uh, read it and I had recommended it to his brother mm-hmm. and his brother was like, no, 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 I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And then Carl read it and said, oh, you know, this is good. And of course, then his brother, <laughs> sexism. <laughs> and then his brother read it and they both liked it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. So they're good. both planning on read, um, reading the sequel. But so yeah. have you read, have you, or have you watched the first season? So we are, I think, um, four or five episodes in. Okay. Which, yeah, we just watched um, the one that in Latin is "Don't let the bastards um, grind you down." Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm wondering because so many people have said to me oh, the first season was amazing and the second season. Mm-hmm. So I'll be mm-hmm. interested to hear what you think. Yeah, it is in um, 2022 yeah. when you get to that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> As my kids would say, "Oh, burn." Oh, <laughs> Took me a moment to realize that you had adapted me there, E. I have a feeling I'll pay for that. Um, all right. So our final novel is one we both read because we were both so excited to read it. Um, I do want to say that um, it is it will not be everyone's cup of tea because the protagonist in it is most definitely not everyone's cup of tea. With no further uh, <laughs> suspense, it is Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. And it is Curtis Sittenfeld, the um, acclaimed novelist, her imagining of what what Hillary Rodham's life would have been like if she had broken up with Bill and never married Bill. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Similar to what, she, well, not as similar because I still haven't read the one about American Laura, Wife. Yeah. I oh, I can't read believe that. you never read I know. That. You and my daughter both, Carol, says that every time. So I need to. Yeah. Which was about um, Laura Bush. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh, George Bush, the second's wife. Right. Um, so, and I learned yesterday in reading um, a review of Rodham. This is called a counterfactual novel. Oh. Yeah. So, um, oh, that take, makes sense. Yes. Okay. So, I guess taking a kind of elements of true life, but then turning a situation to take it down another path. And um, I was calling it speculative fiction. Which, yeah, which I still think. You think I can? St- I still cause, think cause that. Because I felt kind of like, smart for using that yeah, term. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to give that to you. Okay. Then. <laughs> In 2022. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. well, nothing better than a joke being beaten into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to do it at least one more time in the show. Exactly. All right. So, so it is, spends a lot of time with um, Hillary and Bill meeting at Yale Law School. Well, it opens with um, Hillary doing her Wellesley commencement speech, which is true mm-hmm. and uh, had a lot of true details yes. in it. Yep. Yep. And then spent a lo- quite a long time at Harvard or sorry, Yale Law. Yes. And then um, Hillary and Bill, Hillary does follow in the novel, does follow as in real life, does follow Bill to Arkansas where he becomes governor. Um, yeah. No, no. She follows him to California. Oh. Uh, where he... 
Oh no, she follows him to, to Arkansas too. Was it Arkansas? Yeah, she, they, they spent the summer. Oh, they right. spend, spend the summer, summer in Berkeley. Right. And then they um yeah, then he goes down, um, runs a campaign and um yeah, so but then as in real life, Bill asks her to marry him several times and um, that's where it diverges because yes. in real life, as we know, she said yes, eventually. And in this, she breaks up with them. Right. And we won't spoil any more from that, but it definitely does go on. And so that the, the as, as um, given away by the title, you know, she is the protagonist of the novel. She's also the writer of the novel. So it is first person. Right. And so you and I, we ran into each other while I was running and you were walking your dog and so we got talking a little bit about it. And then we said, save it for the podcast. Right. <laughs> so we like to say. Zip it. Yep. yep. So um, it, because we debated about the language choice, because I have, you know, I've um, other Curtis Sittenfeld novels that I've read. It's prep and. Um, eligible. Eligible that, that we've right. already mentioned. Yes. Which, um, as we indicated earlier, we both adored. So I've, we both found, it sounds like, that the um, language was not particularly the caliber we expected and that I found myself having to reread sentences oftentimes. I mean, it happened more than just a handful to understand what was being said. And because it just, it wasn't because it was such a complex lofty sentence. It was just kind of clunky. Right. That was a good word that you chose. Thanks. And so, so the, the theory that we um, formulated on the fly <laughs> while you were on the sidewalk, I was in the road, was that perhaps that was Sittenfeld being intentional as if indicating that that's Hillary's writing style. And, you know, I was thinking back after we met that they do say, and they even mention in the book as well, that uh, she had to learn a lot about speaking in front of people, mm -hmm. that she has sort of a sort of bland tone mm -hmm. so you know i think that that's something that you know it would be interesting to find out if that was intentional right so i i definitely tried to google that mm -hmm. and just i wasn't finding the search terms that turned up an article like right. that and and i'm not sure there's as many um geeks out there as us who want to know that because right. the, the, the other articles were basically you know oh so do you have you ever met hillary clinton do you think you ever will you know haha -ha, you know basically trying to get suss out what what hillary clinton's reaction is to this novel right and which is an interesting question oh it would be yeah yeah, yeah. you gotta know that she's got friends that have read it and Right. Uh, or I don't know if she has, but yeah. 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 We, I had a bammer, you know, I'm on Goodreads and I gave it four stars and I had a bammer that immediately mm. contacted me and said, I can't believe you gave it four stars. And I really would out have been five, about yeah. out of five. Right. Sorry. And I really would have liked to have given it a half star Goodreads please, please start letting us do that. But <laughs> it would have been probably about a 3.5 for me. Oh. I found it uh, readable and compelling. Mm -hmm. I moved along. But I have to say that I thought, and I know we're not trying not to give a lot away, but I thought uh, some of the parts read like a Harlequin romance. I was, yeah. oh yeah, mm -hmm. I was just a little bit like, okay, what are we trying to say here? Because I think in my mind, and I'm not a prude, but mm -hmm. you know, it was like they were kind of beating this, mm -hmm. Dead horse doesn't seem to be the right <laughs> the right term in this yeah. case, um, and so I, I I wondered what she was trying whether she was trying to sort of really f flesh out, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, Bill and Hillary or you know if if that was just the way she felt the story. Well, unfolded. I sort I, I mean she you know. Um, I thought of it, I also felt the same way. And again, I'm not a prude either that, that I felt that it got a little too salacious at times. Yeah. And, well, and salacious over and over again, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to do it, mm -hmm. have at it and then mm -hmm. trust your reader. Yeah. That they got the point. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I sort of thought that, that it's why it was, it, there were two layers of explaining why she, she stuck with Bill for the amount of time she did in the novel and so the the lofty mental, the always having conversation and just could pick apart anything and delve into topics and, and find topics that the, she didn't realize she was interested in that he brought to life and, and vice versa. And, but then also the physical nature of point. their relationship. Yeah. And so I did think 
even though I realize it's um, counterfactual fiction or speculative, (laughs) I did think it kind of, for me, explained um, why Hillary did marry Bill in the first place and stick with him. And I realize it's all just made up, but it, you know. um, Yeah, that's that's good. And I love some of the characters as they go along. And I won't mention names, but some of the true to life characters and what, how they're presented and or what happened. Yes. And what their counterfactual storyline is. Yes. Uh Yes. Yes. Because I, I definitely am a person who loves a good parallel universe. Right. And, you know, because there is a parallel universe right now where there is no coronavirus and, you know, my son is going to sleepaway camp in a few weeks and he, you know, right. <laughs> and Daphne played a full season of golf her freshman right. year of high school and all those things. And, and MLB is on, <laughs> baseball is on every, almost every night of the week. <laughs> hey, that is true though. They yeah. Did, yeah, yeah, 60 yeah, games yeah. And I can walk into the library instead of having to call and make, <laughs> make an, an appointment. appointment and I'm going there right after I finish this. I am. It only took me 18 minutes to get through to our library to make an appointment. Okay. What we're talking about. The backstory is our library closed right about uh, March 16th, I think. And only you would know that, by the way. uh, Because although I I would too, because I got a book out the day before it closed. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happened to me. I got three out before, Uh, and of course, you know, was dead. And then about two or three weeks ago, was it? Just two. Cause it yeah. was when we were supposed to reopen. They, certain libraries, not all of our libraries, but certain ones of them are open for pickup, which means that once they alert you that you have a book on hold, you have to call them. You have mm-hmm. to call the library where you get put on hold and the hold music in this library <laughs> Don't even start because, of course, I had them on speaker because I just wanted to walk around. So I looked, it was almost just almost 18 minutes. Wow. A very nice young man came on, you know, all he wanted was my library card number. And then he said, okay, we can get you in there tomorrow between 11 and 12. So you walk up there, you give your name, you stand, you know, six feet away from the person who's outside and you give them your name, they go in, get your books and your books have already been checked out. They hand you the books and you leave. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm intrigued that they give you an hour window. Yes. Because and I thought it was like, well, I'll be there at 1115. I thought, yeah, oh my gosh, I do we have to hurry up? And no, like, no, <laughs> that's what I thought too. Uh-huh. And he even said, okay, 11 to 12, he said, be prepared to wait and please, you know, keep mm-hmm. six feet distance. Mm-hmm. And they have it marked off, but mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. walk the dog up there sometime. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting two books and, you know. I'm, All right, do you go to the library up by John's high school? Yeah, I go oh, to the uh-huh. North nice. Portland. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, and they also let us return books finally because we had yeah, to keep had them to... all the time during the right. pandemic. Right. And unfortunately, I didn't really like the books that I checked out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, I just want them out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was the way mine sat on the coffee table in the front, <laughs> you know, the foyer. And I was like, but good news for my husband was one of the books he wanted to read and he's a very slow reader. And yeah. so he was like, yeah. I thought that originally. I'm like, sweet. I and I'm like, well, I don't like this book. Yeah, so, that's what happened with so me. So who cares? Yeah, yeah, no. um, all right, let's trans- transition to nonfiction. Right. Yes. And this one has a very long um, subtitle, so you got to read the whole thing. Okay. So the one that uh, Sarah and I were both looking forward to, and I uh, picked it up, it's Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family. And it's by Robert Kolker, K-O-L-K-E-R. And it says the riveting story of an American family with 12 children, six of whom were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And it became uh, science quiet hope in the quest to conquer an elusive disease. So, you know, just, just that alone. I mean, think about it. You have 12 children and virtually seriously half of them are diagnosed with schizophrenia. Oh my God. And I mean, the cover photo alone, it's the most fabulous you know, of the period photo, it's probably from 
what the I think it's uh, 60s, I think the 50s? I think it was the late fifties or the early sixties. Yeah, and 60s they're on a enormous staircase. spiral staircase mm-hmm. with each child do, 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 down and the parents at the top and, and the, the mother oldest, is pregnant. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the oldest son holding the youngest child, so a baby. Yeah. Gosh, and they're just are they all boys? No, there's two one? girls. There was 10 boys and two girls. Well, the girls must have come later because they I'm did. That they the- did. They came, uh, they were the last two. That's unreal. Yeah. And the uh, mother was told after the, I think it was after the 10th one, her doctor said, you really shouldn't have any more children. And then after she delivered the 12th child, her doctor essentially said, I'm done with you. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, a, you know, they were Catholic and, and, but he said no more because she had so many complications oh, mm-hmm. and so many problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the parents, uh, came from very different backgrounds, which uh, the author does a, a good job of going into. And the husband was in the Air Force, mm. and they both wanted this really large family, mm-hmm. and you know, just ended up having this. But it, you know, you you think about what it takes. I mean, what you know, you and I think about what it takes to just have a household with. Mm-hmm. You know, in your case, three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, one. <laughs> and, you know, but you think about uh, about that. And and the husband was gone a lot. He was definitely a father of his age. Mm-hmm. You know, that time very frame, hands very hands off. The mother was, you know, raising, and she had very exacting standards. Oh. But what would happen is they ended up uh she and the husband had hobbies and things that they were interested in so these kids sometimes spent a lot of time on their own and i'm really kind of getting off the the tangent which is you had these these six boys who uh ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia in varying um sort of degrees and and seriousness and the scientific community finally did uh, discover them and it was always a nurture versus nature oh. and as many people know back in the 60s mm-hmm. they believed that schizophrenia was because you had a cold mother it was always sort of the mother oh fault. of course yeah and um but as time went on the, these researchers began to say okay how much of it is the the way the child was brought up but then how much of it is genetic Uh How much of it is, you know, you take this child with this gene structure and you put him into a situation of stress and, you know, we go from there. And I think the thing that's, that's, that's fascinating about this is there's still so much we don't know about schizophrenia, but the, this family and, um, particularly the, the, the girls, um, he focuses a lot on the, on the girls when they're, especially what they went through. And then as adult women going, having very different outlooks on uh, the family dynamics. Mm. So it's, it's sometimes for me, it got a little heavy into the science end Mm. of it, but Carl, my husband read it and that didn't seem to to bother Mm. him as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we both found it, you know, a combination of fascinating and disturbing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely recommend it. How many of the family members are still alive? I believe uh, the parents are both dead, but I believe that three of the brothers, f- three or four of the brothers have died. Mm. Um, the girls are, are still, still alive. In fact, if you look on the inside, it, it has dates for all of them. Well, uh-huh. but Oh yeah! Oh, so, like a like a yeah, cast got, of character list. Yeah, the Galvin family. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, um, it's tragic. It is tragic, and it's um, he does a very good job of. Like I say, sometimes I think that he could have sort of pulled back a little bit from from some of the scientific. But then again, you have to kind of know the backstory of how schizophrenia was always treated, and mm-hmm. how even today scientists are still struggling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, I am um, interested in reading that one. Mm -hmm. So then the final book we're going to talk about is one that I am currently listening to um, because of, as we mentioned, Multnomah County Library being closed, but we could still get audio books. Right. And so this one is called This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City, The Voice That Held It Together 
by John Mualam. I may not be saying that name right. And so I heard this, the way I was introduced to it was it um, was the, on the daily, the podcast on Sundays, they were having, I think it was Sundays, they were having um, readings off of the um, app Autumn, which the New York Times owns. And it was a um, New York Times article read um, by the author. And so, and the article was about the titular character, Jeannie Chance, who was a mother of three. She and her husband moved from Texas to Alaska for a new start in the early 1960s. And she got, or maybe in the late 50s, they moved there. And she got um, a job at a TV station. And so when the Great Alaska or Great Anchorage earthquake, I believe it's called, happened on Good Friday, 1964, Mm -hmm. which at that time was the strongest measured earthquake ever, a 9.2 on the Richter scale, that lasted nearly five minutes. I mean, I was in the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco, and that lasted, I think, for maybe like 78 seconds, something like that. Well, it was an eternity. So to think you literally would have thought the earth was breaking apart. And so um, it, this, this is chance is so evocative of a particular place. Anchorage just on the cusp of really defining itself as a city and of a particular time, you know, 1964 and this earthquake and this woman, Jeannie chance, she, when the earthquake hits, she is in a car driving her young son to go get a book for the Red Cross swimming class that he was supposed to take the day before. And again, any mom can relate to this. It was like 5.15 or 5.10 when he says, mom, I forgot I need a book for tomorrow's class. Well, the bookstore is open until six. Let's go. Right. Okay, honey. And so they are pulling up to a stoplight and right when she puts her foot on the brake, the quake starts and so she thinks at first both of them think that a tire is blown and then when she sees stuff swaying so greatly she thinks it's wind and so her brain just cannot process what it is and finally she realizes and so her the station is right there and so Jeannie Chance ends up being on the air for something like almost an entire day of holding this city together because they didn't know the scope of the quake. They didn't know if it was just an anchorage. They didn't, you know, there was this whole very affluent neighborhood that had basically slid down a hill into Mm. the water. A tsunami had come like there was just, and so she's just not only distributing information, but also, you know, um, Ellison Wiest, your husband Carl is looking for you. Please return home. Mm-hmm. He is fine, but he he is concerned about you. Like sending these personal oh, messages wow. and talking about how all these residents of Anchorage just pitched in. And I mean, the detail that this guy gets into is so fantastic. Um, it's just, I mean, whether what she was doing right when the son walks in to say that he needs that book to, you know, that the guy who steps up to be the person who goes on, who organizes the search and rescue, you know, that he has an egg-shaped head and that his wife is pregnant and they had, you know, lost, had a miscarriage the year before. I mean, just all these details. And oh my gosh, it's so gripping. I just love it. And having been to Anchorage two years ago, right around this time I was there for the summer solstice for the Anchorage Marathon. And oh my goodness, it's just amazing because the that that event just shaped modern day anchorage so much because i go up there and i think oh there's gonna be all these cute houses like you know little neighborhoods all this stuff and i'm like everything looks so new they're like yeah ding dong all <laughs> got built since 1964 <laughs> yeah yeah so i just oh it's so good it's okay. so good yeah, yeah so um, yeah, so I love a good audiobook to listen to while running. And do you remember who the narrator is? Or it's a guy who I'm not remembering his name, but I looked him up, and he's only done one other. Wow! And um, and that was he did a I think it was a it was a mystery or a thriller. I'm not sure hey. which. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe in two years I'll find. Maybe in 2022 ah, you I'll beat find. me to it. Uh, but um. <laughs> I knew I had to get to it soon. <laughs> yeah, you saw that look in my eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
instead of laughing at me, I will laugh, make you laugh with me. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so this is only the second one. And he just, um, you know, some readers of audiobook don't um, kind of editorialize a little bit with the, the um, things they say, but there are a couple of times that what the detail is so fantastic that he actually adds some real emotion to it. But that, that is the same thing that, or whether it's a little sarcasm, something, there's some thing about, um, I'll just say about Richter, the man who developed the Richter scale. scale. Yes. Right. The details he provides about that gentleman are so outlandish. <laughs> and then the narrator lets that kind of seep through. It's priceless. It's, and probably in the book, it's probably, I don't know, a half a page. Right. But it's awesome. And I've pretty much told everyone, everyone <laughs> in my family, I told Molly the whole thing. So um, it's it's just great detail. Yeah. Yeah. So put um, it on my list. Yeah. I'm, and I adore it so much. And I think it's so well written and just really great grasp of language. I'm actually. Don't tell Timothy, but I'm thinking of sending her a copy of okay. it. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Mom's sword. She's sending you a copy in 2022. Oh, oh, damn. damn. <laughs> Thought I'd gotten out of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so this wraps up another great um reading podcast Allison thank you for joining me in person yes yes so all right and um listeners um please be sure to sign up for the AMR newsletter it gets sent out on Tuesdays and Fridays with occasional special event ones like the one we're sending out next month it's going to tell you to enter a massive and I mean massive multi-brand giveaway so we talk about things that you do not want to miss out on that you want to make sure that you hear about and the best way to do that is to get our newsletter and I want to let you know, we never sell our list. So your email address is safe with us to sign up, go to anothermotherrunner.com slash subscribe. That's anothermotherrunner.com slash subscribe. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from sounds like pictures, many happy miles. Mm-hmm.